Freedom HealthWorks is the direct primary care accelerator. We help doctors across the country start fresh in direct primary care. With Freedom HealthWorks, you work with a team, not a checklist. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com and together we can achieve true freedom in direct care. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Today, we are talking to manager and lead physician, Dr. Jared Wallen of the You and We Urologic Surgery and Wellness. Dr. Wallen, welcome to Healthcare Americana. Pleasure to be speaking with you today. And I know everybody out there is going to start off and say, did Chris just say You and We Urologic Surgery? Where did that name come from? Uh, thanks so much for having me, Chris. Um, the name itself, you know, ultimately, first of all, you are our number one and we are here to serve you. And so that's that's what all businesses should be about, their customer. And so that's where the first part of it came from. You know, obviously there is some underlying, you know, uro- urology uh, stuff in there. We do certainly deal with the male genitalia and, you know, obviously we is kind of a slang term for urine. Also on top of that, it's also an acronym. So my, my specialty is you know, general urology, but also men's health specifically is what I really love doing. And so the why is is youth uh, or essentially kind of, I do hormone replacement therapy for both men and women. And, and, you know, to a large degree, I think hormones can be a way to kind of preserve our health naturally or more naturally than some of the synthetic pharmaceuticals that are out there. Uh, the O and U is, is outpatient urology. Uh, the W is wellness. The the first E is is aesthetics and and what have you because I do certainly do some you know kind of aesthetic type procedures and offerings and then also obviously the very last E is a big component of our health as well which is eating our nutrition, right? And so that's kind of where the the underlying name came from. How long did it take you to come up with that, or that that just hit you in the middle of the you night know, and bolted you away? Uh, it, it really kind of just hit me. I mean, I was kind of just looking at you know how I can number one profess that you as our as our client are are our number one, and we are here to serve you was kind of in the back of my mind for starting any business, but certainly for a, a business that it deals with someone's health. And so from that standpoint, I just kind of started looking around, and I was trying to figure out you know, different ways I could put, put something together to, you know, kind of create the acronym that we did. And then actually it's kind of funny because if you Google you and we uh, on Google, it comes up with all kinds of urology stuff, which who would have known. Right. And so, um, and now obviously we're also uh, listed there with that. So uh, it, you know, uh, I can't say there's any one specific thing that brought it about, but it, it kind of just hit me and I was like, this is great. And, and, and the other part about it is that, you know, uh, for the same reason you're interested in it, a lot of people see it uh, and or hear it and they smile. And so as a business, if, if I can have you in a happy state where you're smiling before I re- you ever meet me, you know, that's, that's a great start for me. That's a great first impression to a large degree. So that's kind of how we came about with that. Well, at that point you hit on too, you know, that first impression of a patient or a customer is very, very important. And that's something we try to try to drive home uh, when we talk to doctors about opening their practices, you know, and a lot of people get uh, wrapped around the axle on, well, I, I didn't even think about what my name, you know, the name of my practice should be. And then here we are, you know, you can get a little creative, just make sure it means something to you, right? And you're able to uh, talk about it eye-catching. Don't make it a huge 20, 30 uh, character long web address. But <laughs> so your story, um, 
It's one that we've heard a lot, but the difference is, again, hitting upon this theme of specialty care and non-primary specialty care, you're a urologist doing a lot of cool things um, now that you have left hospital and starting up your new practice and then, you know, kind of to foreshadow the episode a little bit, very soon looking to get into the direct care world with your practice. But it sounds like you're going to walk before you run. And I'm sure you already know my thoughts on that. So I'm not going to even go there. But, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do uh, for your career and, and for the family and everything. So tell us a little bit about your journey on how it came to this point and how you're one of the very few people out there, urologists, surgeons even, who are looking to make a uh, impact in the cash pay world when the time is right. Right. Um, so I guess that, that takes me back all the way to when I was born. I mean, I don't, I don't come from much. I was born in a small village, actually, of 6,000 people, not even a town. My parents are both blue collar. You know, between college and, and medical school, I leveraged probably close to half a million dollars of basically my own money to to get trained. Right. And and then, you know, luckily got through and, and got to uh, urologic surgery training and, and got finished that and, and board certified. You know, but after training, I, I you know took a job with a hospital, and and for me, I, I always kind of had some business sense and savvy. I was a manager at a at a store before I ever went to uh, medical school, and 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 so there was that underlying entrepreneurial spirit there, um, and and I kind of had the uh, the um, goals to you know open my own small business and and be able to serve and help people. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, uh, a lot of that in this day and age is essentially kind of squashed by big business, big corporations, uh, both from a standpoint of independent uh, physician practices, which for folks that don't know what 8% or 16,000 physician practices actually closed last year during 2020 and everything that went on and, and what have you. And, and more and more private equity firms, big hospitals, big insurance companies are buying out physician practices uh, and, and basically making them employees, which, you know, to a large degree, you lose autonomy, you lose control, you lose the ability to, you know, maybe work with a patient and, and you know, kind of cut them a huge discount or what have you, if they really can't pay or, or work, work on like a payment plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lose that autonomy of your business. And, and so that's, that's really something that I, that I experienced pretty, pretty significantly in my hospital employee days is that, you know, I really had no control. And even though I was, there's a, there's a book uh, written by Josh Kaufman, it's called my personal MBA. And there's a quote in there. And this, this quote is not, at least in his tense is not directed towards uh, medicine, but I think it applies very well. And the quote is this, it's, it's uh, administrators should not be making the tough decisions. The experts who know the most about whatever subject matter you're talking about should be making the tough decisions. And, and so, you know, when I see that, that to me, I'm an expert in medicine, I know business, and, and I'm the one that knows what's best for the patient. Yet, unfortunately, in corporate medicine, physicians are not making the decisions. It's, it's unfortunately business types and, and what have you, administrators that are making a lot of the bigger decisions, but they also make a lot of decisions that affect everyday practice. Um, and unfortunately, they don't see uh, the downstream effects that that has on patients. Uh, and so from that standpoint, you know, again, being a very highly educated person and, and, and yet not having much control and seeing the, the downstream effects myself of what happens with patients and how they're negatively impacted 
and really not having much recourse to try to actually change that mm-hmm. uh, was is quite honestly a lot of a lot of folks will quote it as kind of that one of those impetuses for burnout. I really kind of hate that word to be quite honest with you. I think it's more moral injury uh, yeah. in the way that I would phrase it because for me, again, as somebody who's trying to be as altruistic and serving as possible for someone and yet I have no control and then I have to deal with the ramifications of the negative impacts. Of, of what the decisions that are made are, uh, that's pretty tough to stomach at the end of the day. And I think that's the biggest thing where you see there's, there's a lot of physicians that are not happy in, in corporate medicine and, and what have you. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of angst, anger, frustration, uh, depression, feelings right. of, well, I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to keep going to work and kind of grip my teeth and, and, and just bear it. Um, wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you had a business background before and everything you just said, choosing to go into medicine um, after having you know, a separate career, separate jobs. What was that like? And what made you, what made you decide to go back to medical school and, and be a physician after experiencing you know, kind of that business world? Right. So, you know, I was actually... Um, Unfortunately, I actually had to accept my, my dead cousin's diploma at our high school graduation. Uh, he took his own life, had struggled with bipolar and, and some other psychiatric issues. And, and quite honestly, that was, was really when I kind of decided that first I thought I wanted to be you know, a psychiatrist, psychologist to change people's lives that way and help those folks. But I realized you know, through uh, my process of college and even into medical school and such that you know, I was really more hands-on, the surgery was more appealing to me and what have you. So I kind of pivoted a little bit there, but, you know, to a large degree, I think that was, that was sown pretty early that I really wanted to help people. And the business experience was more kind of along the way throughout college too. I mean, I was in, in kind of a student leadership position within the, the campus recreation facility within the aquatics department. And, and I was also, you know, essentially a, um, a manager of a, or an assistant manager of a store uh, while I was doing uh, community college, because the unfortunate part about, you know, accepting your, your cousin's diploma because they can't be there with you, you know, that put me through a pretty decent loop as a young man. And so I, I did do a couple of years at a community college to kind of sort that out a little bit and also try to figure out what the heck I wanted to do with my life. And so while I was doing that, I also, you know, was working as an assistant manager of a store running operations and that type of stuff. And so it was always in the plan. And actually, they even asked me, you know, a couple of times to take over stores and and that type of stuff. And I was like, no, I'm going to medical school. This is really just kind of a bridge for me. But, Mm. you know, so I guess it wasn't really necessarily I'm in business alone and then I'm pivoting back. It was kind of part of the path, uh, the stepping stones for me to get there. Gotcha. And it's amazing. So how much of, you know, what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, uh, really, and I'm with you, I don't like the term burnout. Um, you, you mentioned that you call it moral injury. Right. Frankly, it's workplace abuse uh, in any other industry. I mean, I, I, I tell this to people a lot that if we put the constraints of hospital systems on their employee physicians and made them do what they're doing, follow through with that volume and, you know, it's workplace abuse. I mean, it's emotional uh, at times, and that's why we see suicide rates from physicians and medical school students. You know, right. you want to be competitive. Yeah, I get it. You want to be the best. I get it. Uh, but like you said, you know, you mentioned that the the highly educated people want control. 
uh, be able to making their own decisions. I would counter and tweak that just a little bit and say that it's not just highly educated people that are physicians. It's always very, it's very empathetic people and people that you're the end of the line. When you're talking to somebody and they just got a cancer diagnosis, they're looking at you to make that fault. Doc, what should I do? Right. And then if you have somebody second guessing, you know, uh, from an insurance company or a pre-authorization or hospital system, you're like, well, what the hell? Why am I even here? Why do I even do this? When, right. you know, somebody with their GEDs over here are going to say, well, that's not according to our spreadsheet. It's not according to our protocol. So knowing that, I mean, did you have any idea that's how medicine was practiced when you still were pursuing your dream on going to medical school? You know, I have to say I was, I was ignorant to, to how that worked, to be honest with you, and, and to the severity of it. I mean, for me, you know, one of the things that happens with those authorizations, those denials, is what they call a peer-to-peer. Uh, you know, quite honestly, I will tell you that whenever I've called an insurance company, I've never spoken to another urologist. And, <laughs> and most times- I doubt you ever will. It's a pediatrician or a, a primary doctor, which- Listen, those folks are great and, and they do what they do, but th- there's a reason they didn't get trained in urology, right? And, and so same, same for me, if I was on the other end of the line from them calling, I wouldn't really know what's the standard of care for their, for their specific specialty, right? And so sure. not only that, a lot of times those folks aren't even licensed in the state that, they're, that you're calling from. And so they haven't seen the patient. They've never talked to the patient. They don't know what's really truly going on. All they know is what's on paper. And then, like you said, they're basically kind of following a script of, of what they can and cannot authorize. You know, that was certainly a curveball for me for, you know, truly trying to advocate for the best for my patients and get them the best possible care. I mentioned even as a young kid, when I, when I was really considering this, my goal was always the highest quality, lowest, po- lowest possible cost care that I, that I could possibly provide, right? Because, you know, I mean, there, what, there's 500,000 people in the United States that go bankrupt, at least in part or wholly due to medical bills a year. And, and actually, unfortunately, 60% of those have insurance. And so, you know, that's crazy to me that, that people can't get the care that they need and, and find some way to, to survive that financially it's a shame. And so, yeah, that, that was certainly a curveball. I, I would, I was definitely ignorant about the, the outside control of, of what I would be able to do for, for people. What you just said, you want to provide the highest quality care for the little money. I think every physician out there should know exactly what their care costs and what their recommendations cost. If you don't know that you're going to be part of the problem, doc, I'm sorry, but that's, that's just the way it is. Right. Um, what was your experience when you were asked to do a lot of different things in the hospital setting and those two, I'm going to call it um, kind of your medical ethos, uh, if you will. What happens when you look at those saying, I'm, these are getting violated. I need to talk to my superiors about this. Oof. Um, well, I'll tell you what happened in my experience. My experience was that, you know, when I brought these things up, they, they didn't happen. Um, nothing really changed. Again, I, I was a part of a, a startup practice. They didn't have a urologist there before me. And so unfortunately with the, the multiple layers of corporate bureaucracy, I mean, decisions were being made six months down the line from when they actually needed to be, when I actually brought them to the table. Right. And unfortunately with that, especially as a startup, you can't, you can't change six months later. You have to change by the day, by the minute your, your policies and procedures. And unfortunately, again, that's part of the corporate problem of medicine is that that's not really a possibility, uh, at least in the setting that I've, I've experienced, 
what, what I can tell you is that a lot of times you may hear about, um, I don't know, disruptive physicians or what have you. And, and unfortunately, remember, HR for corporations is really meant to protect the corporation, not necessarily the employees. And so you start ringing the bell and, and you know, kind of bringing out these, these problems uh, multiple times over and over again. And unfortunately, a lot of times you get sent to HR and, and they make you the problem rather than actually addressing the problems that exist that are harming patients out there. Well, now I'm curious, what was your experience uh, like saying, hey, guys, we have a whole problem here. How do I handle this situation? Because I think we could be doing better. And they say, oh, Doc Wallen, you're going to the HR. Who do you talk to in HR? Like, how does that conversation go? Oof. Um, you know, that, <laughs> I'm really curious about that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it's, unfortunately, it's, it's another administrator. Right. And so, you know, ultimately, uh, thankfully I had a, a couple of good, uh, lawyer buddies and, and kind of ran it by them when I, when I was going through that. And I was just like, you know, uh, uh it's sad, but, but, and, and this is where, again, unfortunately the corporate structure of medicine to a large degree, silences physicians, right? I mean, I think we've seen that throughout even big tech kind of silencing physicians this year or this past year and what have you. But, but even the corporate structure, uh, you know, basically I, I was advised to bend the knee and, and you know, apologize and, and, you know, basically make it right, but then essentially kind of find my exit strategy and, and get out of that system, right? And so, you know, unfortunately, again, if, if, if you meet their strength with with trying to to go against their your your strength, and not you know kind of bow down and and do what they want you to do, uh, unfortunately they'll they'll find a way to replace you, and that's that's true for any corporation, whether it's medicine or not, right? I mean, ultimately you know you you look at like Robert Kiyosaki and some of these other you know kind of gurus in in business and in the business type fields, you know they always say as an employee you know you're you're disposable and and any day a corporation can replace you and and move on and that's not that's also true for physicians that are employees uh so you know unfortunately um you know you kind of just uh, basically have to kind of stop stop complaining and and that's where you kind of said you know earlier kind of when we were talking about the the moral injury, the burnout, you kind of just have to accept it. And especially with the amount of people that have significant amounts of, of debt for their education that become physicians. I mean, I think 40% of folks that graduate med school have greater than $200,000 in debt at least. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to walk away. And you have to figure out some way to take care of your family and pay the bills and just like anybody else in the country. Right. And so, uh, those are all things to think about, for sure. I'm a firm believer that the status quo in healthcare, everybody is so entrenched that they are fighting any type of innovation and improvement. And that's what you know. I just heard you say is that when you as a physician, as a surgeon, bring up an idea on a way to lower cost or increase you know, the ability, the level of patient care you're able to provide, and you get shot down, vilified, and eventually drummed out of service, I'm thinking no other business in the world is going to function like that. You've got great people working for you. You want them to be able to exercise their creative freedom, find issues, bring it up, and then fix it. So you're always going to be better moving forward. And the exact opposite is what is happening in most of the systems, hospital systems, healthcare systems in the United States today. Yeah. I mean, I think two quotes come to mind from, from very, um, you know, respected, intelligent people out there. One was Steve Jobs. You, you mentioned, uh, I mean, he, he's 
commonly quoted as saying, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I, I employ really smart people that tell me what to do and tell me how to run my business better and how to make solutions better than what they're doing right now. Uh, that's one. The other one, Warren Buffett, uh, I'm sure you're, you're aware of this uh, Haven venture that they've kind of folded now with him and him and uh, JP Morgan and Jeff Bezos with Amazon and, and Berkshire Hathaway. They were trying to create some some healthcare solutions, uh, what have you. But yeah. you know, he he was quoted at the at the Berkshire Hathaway um, annual meeting uh, directly about Haven as as saying that you know some of the most prestigious, prominent members of communities are on hospital boards, and they think things are working pretty darn well. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of money being thrown around with pharma, with hospitals, with insurance companies. And to some extent, obviously, you know, those, those three uh, entities last year threw about $650 million at politicians. So mm-hmm. it, it even involves the government, right? And so it's basically just kind of this big, you know, money scheme going back and forth between all four of them. And, and folks are pretty happy with the way that's going because there's, I mean, United Healthcare made $22 billion in profit last year for physicians, for healers, uh, and even, you know, patients and everybody else that would like to make change is kind of a David versus Goliath type situation, right? I mean, we can't out lobby them. Not, not at that rate. I never begrudge anybody for making money and making profit, but it's when you do it in the darkness in these backroom deals and you get the government in here to mandate uh, that everybody has to buy this product, even though it's going to bankrupt uh, like you said, half a million Americans each year. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't how this is supposed to be done here. Uh, right. Where's the antitrust here? Where's any type of investigation of this type of stuff? And, you know, people say all the time that, oh, health insurance should be, uh, we should make that a nonprofit sector. And I'm like, seriously, look at your local hospital, probably a nonprofit. How happy are you with that? And how much money are they t- taking out of your pocket? Uh, you know, it's going to be better. You ask them what their cash price is. Then you see if you going to pay that, but uh, there's different ways. And we talked a little bit about this and, and um, you know, just as a reminder here, uh, we are talking to Dr. Jared Wallen of UNWE, Urologic Surgery and Wellness out of Sarasota, Florida. We talk a little bit about the ability of the individual patient to make decisions for themselves. And um, that is something that we just forget to do whether it's a doctor we trust or say, give me the best care. I want to make sure that I, I prolong life or I don't have to change any bad habits a lot of times, but I don't care what the cost is. I have insurance. I'm like, what? I don't understand that dependency in where in the world we think that's okay. Is it fear? Is it, uh, is it something else from the consumer standpoint? Um, I think it's, I think it's fear. I think it's, you know, obviously everybody is, is always scared of, I think there was a, a Gallup poll where something of between 50 to 60% of Americans are afraid of a major medical problem that will, you know, basically kind of either disrupt their financial life or their life in general. Uh, and so obviously that's where, you know, kind of this addiction to health insurance, you know, certainly plays a role. Obviously, I think to some extent, Americans don't really also want to pay for anything in the in the medical system. They'd rather pay for their pleasurable items out there, things that they want rather than things that they potentially need. Uh, and so, you know, from that standpoint. But is that, is that uh, because we're so used to not having to pay for it and somebody else foots the bill and then spreads that around to all the other people out there? Well, I think it's easy, right? I mean, I think to, to a large degree, 
there's a significant lack of financial education in our country, but also even one step further, even worse, lack of fin- uh, financial medical education mm-hmm. or, or medical finance education. And so from that standpoint, it's easy to just say, hey, pay for everything. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about, you know, how am I going to pay for this if it happens and plan for it in, in, the, in the long run? Or how am I going to protect my family and make sure that everybody's taken care of? If all of that is, is quote unquote, handled for you, then, then you basically have passed that off to that third party. But unfortunately that gives that third party a huge amount of control. Um, You know, obviously, and and I think that's part of the problem. So from that standpoint, it's, it's, you know, patients need to be empowered to understand what's going on. You, you also mentioned the, the lack of transparency, obviously, you know, if you don't even know what your, what your actual bill is until three to six months later, when you start getting bills, uh, and you can just put a card down and pay, you know, a small fee and everything will be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, th- again, that's easy. But if you have to do the work and, and actually, you know, call and, and find out about a cash price or, or what have you, you know, I think that's becoming easier because there's a lot of folks out there that are posting those online and, and uh, readily available. But I mean, even the the executive order that, that Trump did before he left the office where, Hospitals are supposed to be posting prices. I think only about thirty percent of them in the country are actually doing so, right? Because all they all they have to do is pay like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and they can they can keep their their prices hidden, versus the millions of dollars that they would lose by, you know, having to be transparent. And, and remember, whenever for me at least, what I've learned in in medicine, especially from the finance standpoint, if if something is too complex or hidden somebody is making a significant amount of profit somewhere underneath that guys. Right. And so sure, sure, you know, that's where it, it, it's easy, but we need to empower power patients to, you know, take care and, and, you know, basically take hold of their, their medical finance and, and care. So you don't, you don't think $300 penalty a day for publishing prices. You don't think that's, well, I mean, that's going to do it. Yeah, Drive the behavior you want. The CEO of the HCA system made sixty million dollars uh, last year just himself. So, in reference, you know, three hundred bucks a day. And actually, I saw something recently. Uh, you know, I, the, I think in June potentially, the current administration is actually looking at re- repealing that that executive order. And so, you know, obviously, it just makes things much easier for them to. Uh, be less transparent. And actually, the, the, the article that I read was basically they, they felt it was too much of a burden for hospitals to have to do that. Interesting. Right. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to check that out. I, hey, yeah. uh, Dr. Walden, we're, we're from the government. We're here to help, right? Uh, <laughs> you, t- you mentioned, you mentioned uh, empowering patients, and I want to bring that back into empowering physicians to be the decision makers. Right. Um, something that, again, is a symptom of the problem, maybe an actual root cause of you know, the, the disease of our sick care system today Give me your thoughts, again, using your past experience from an employee standpoint, and I want this to lead into really why you decided to make that, in, that jump into independent medicine, and then ultimately into kicking the insurance companies out of your practice as well, which admittedly is not an easy thing to do for any physician uh, who's ever been in that, and certainly not surgeons in other surgery centers. Uh, there's 
a way to do it, uh, but that's, um, you know, it's all a process. So what's your take on physician empowerment, being able to call the shots as opposed to what most employed physicians encounter today? Well, I mean, I think, you know, going back to delivering the highest quality, lowest cost care in the market, I think that that's the only way. I mean, I think, you know, again, I mentioned $650 million of lobbying to the government from pharma, insurance companies and hospitals last year alone. I mean, again, David versus Goliath, I can't, I can't compete with that. Even all 1 million physicians in the country can't compete with that, which by the way, we haven't broached this, but you know, the, the 1 million physicians in the country make 7.3 cents for every dollar that's spent in healthcare. And, and so sure. there's a lot of money going somewhere else. And so from that standpoint, uh, unfortunately for me, that's where, you know, actually I was even going to, to open a traditional practice uh, independent from the hospital. Um, but I realized that trying to work with these insurance companies was really kind of more of the same. It's a different different name on the corporation, but they really, you know, especially for me as a, as a solo physician uh, practice, I really have no leverage to, to get them to actually pay me what I'm worth and what my, what my value to patients is. And so from that standpoint, I think, unfortunately, I've really come to the point that, you know, direct care is the only way and, and cutting out the insurance, the hospitals and, and the, the pharmacies and, the, and to some extent, the government too, uh, because there's government insurances out there and that type of thing. And, and really physicians and patients and bringing them together is really the best way to get not only patient empowerment, but also physician empowerment to be able to give the, the best, highest quality care at potentially the lowest, lowest cost on the market, uh, or at least the lowest market price that is a fair value for both parties. What would you say uh, to somebody who comes up and says, Dr. Wallen, I'm thinking about becoming a doctor? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> well, I know, mean, there's, <laughs> there's a very popular answer out there. Which I think most people that are, that are my age in medicine would tell you, and, you know, do something else. Or, I mean, I think, I think the reality is, is somebody who wants to become a physician, certainly we need more physicians. I mean, there's a shortage, right? And so, we need more physicians. We need more residency training program spots, which hopefully they may be making some changes to, to do. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think, I think going in eyes wide open, uh, you know, most of the stuff we've already talked about, I probably didn't have any clue. And I would bet most medical students don't have much clue when they're starting medical school about a lot of that going into it. And so, you know, from that standpoint, I think going in eyes wide open and, and really seeing what you're getting yourself into and realizing that, I mean, unfortunately, listen, there's a, there's a growing trend in the country where, you know, emergency physicians are being replaced with PAs and NPs. And unfortunately there's a lot of emergency uh, residents that are coming out of training and not able to get jobs or worried about the potential for that to get even worse. Uh, as far as finishing all that training, you know, you're talking about 10 to 15 years approximately of training and, and however many thousands of dollars in, uh, of debt that you've accumulated, and yet then you can't even get a job. So, you know, really realizing the, the climate that's out there. But I think, again, at the same rate, we need good people all the time, right? And, and no matter what, we will always continue to need good people. And, and, you know, ultimately, if you have that calling in you and you can see it eyes wide open and, and understand the, the stressors that are out there, God bless you, because we need more and more folks that are ready to take the plunge and, and fight with us and, and really fight for patients. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's why we, most physicians I know get, got into it in the first place is the patient. 
and, you know, ultimately providing value to somebody else's life is, is, you know, forget about the financial part of it. it, it I mean, that puts you right here, right? That hits me in the heart is to be able to change somebody's life, especially with a surgery acutely or, or something of that nature and have them say, listen, my life is significantly better because you came into it. I mean, that gives you all the feels. My, I got goosebumps. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. And so if, if that's what you, that's what you're looking for, there's, there's no better way to do it than in medicine, but you just have to be eyes wide open and realize the, the stressors in the system, obviously, you know, direct primary care, direct care in general, direct specialty care, I think hopefully will be a huge solution for a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today. Uh, and really trying to get back to, again, physicians and patients, because for me, the simplest answer is also probably the most important and most profound as far as serving someone else directly, you know, and cutting out anybody else that's in, in the way of or, or in, the, in the middle of uh, any potential relationship. Um, because ultimately, at that point, you, you know, you kind of asked this question, I think, initially about, you know, how do we empower physicians? You know, I think you empower physicians and patients together by, you know, allowing them to make a decision together and really not having anybody else influence that decision, right? And so that's where direct care is exactly performing just that, because your physician can use all the all the knowledge they have from their brain and their their experience and training, and have a great conversation with you and and take the time to do so. Because remember, a lot of the way that physicians currently compensate for the the low payments that they get from insurance companies is by seeing more and more and more and more patients and, and really only giving you a, a very small fraction of their time. But in the direct care service, you can spend a lot more time with a patient and really truly get deep into conversation about the options and educate them about what what potential there there is out there for them to change their life and help them. And, and really at the end of the day, then they are empowered to make whatever decision they choose for their life. And, you know, you don't have any other third party out there preying on that. Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I was going to ask you what in your crystal ball, in your opinion, what does a perfect uh, healthcare industry look like from interactions between patients and physicians? But I think you just knocked it out of the park. So, you know, I, uh, you're either reading my mind or uh, we think alike there. But uh, Dr. Wallen, I want to thank you again for coming on the show here. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and learning about your journey. And so we wish you the best of luck here on the new practice coming up. And it sounds like you're well on your way to meeting your professional goals here and really helping people and helping out your community. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, again, at the end of the day, it's all about the patient and, and delivering them the highest value care we can possibly do. And, you know, again, I think you, you kind of highlighted it, uh, direct relationships with patients and physicians and, and the healing team is, is checkmate for me. I mean, it's, it's the way that I can, I can deliver the most value and do the most good while, you know, not having to worry about bankrupting a patient, because if, if they can't pay, then I can either negotiate and say, all right, I'll write this off or, or whatever. But as an employee, I can't do that. Right. And, and as a, as a corporation, I certainly can and still provide high value care and, and take care of people, which is huge. Definitely need more doctors willing to do what you're doing. Uh, I think most of them want to do that, but uh, it's the ones going out there and facing that uncertainty and, and putting their patients first and meeting it head on. So again, wish you the best of luck. 
That's going to do it for our episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I'm your host, Christopher Habig. And as a little bonus here, we're happy to announce that we're launching a new consumer-oriented website called freedomdoc.care. So buzz on over, check that out. Let us know your thoughts. And of course, for any more information about doctor and physician resources, visit freedomhealthworks.com. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Interested in saving money on medical expenses? Coral is a healthcare marketplace and referral platform that helps direct primary care physicians, specialists, and medical plans find each other and work together at an affordable and transparent price. Save time and save money by utilizing the transparent direct contract model from Coral. To learn more, please visit coral.io. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance. Changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from ISA Health Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. As a podcast listener, you know how frustrating it is when the audio is muffled or unclear. How can you have a good listening experience when you can't hear? Healthcare has been the same way. Information isn't clear, and it's hard to understand. That's why at Point Health, we're making healthcare easy to find, easy to understand, and easier to afford. And to help with your podcast experience, we're giving you a chance to win a free pair of Apple AirPods. Just visit pointhealth.com slash healthcareamericana to learn more and enter to win. At Green Imaging, we provide diagnostic imaging procedures that include MRIs, CT scans, and x-rays for half of the average price in a health plan. Most people don't realize that the most expensive place to get an MRI is right down the hall from the prescribing doctor. This is because 70% of doctors are now employed or subsidized by our hospital systems. When we get an imaging exam at a hospital-owned imaging facility, the cost of care is three to seven times more expensive than it is at an independent imaging facility. There is a better choice that can save you up to 65% or more. That choice is green imaging. In most hospitals, there are 16 administrators for every single doctor. This creates an unnecessary burden on the price tag. By removing this excess, 
Green Imaging provides diagnostic services typically at one-third of the price or less. Check us out at greenimaging.net. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.